Are you ready to live the life you were meant to live? Is it time to step up and strive to reach your fullest potential? Will you dare to take the bold steps to drive your business and your life to the next level? Then you're ready to live in abundance, passion, and joy. You are ready to be a maverick. Join Paul Fink, the Maverick Millionaire, and the Mavericks Do It Different podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Paul Fink, the Maverick Millionaire, and this is Mavericks Do It Different podcast. This is where we think different, be different, do different. We talk about what's different in our world to create a new society, a new world for all. And today I've got a special treat for you and a special guest. Uh, Nick Lowry is with me here now. This guy, you do not know who he is. You are in for a treat because you absolutely should. Hall of Famer athlete, Ivy League scholar, three-time presidential aide, author, poet, teacher, philanthropist, world uh, Wall Street stock draft champion, uh, just, is just amazing in all regards. Uh, Nick, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Hey, Paul, and I and I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Oh, now, now we've now we've said it all. Now we've said it all. Yes, uh, your your just journey of excellence has been uh, world renowned. You are absolutely in the Hall of Fame uh, now with the, the Chiefs and as just an amazing excellence in as a kicker and one of the greatest records in the NFL, um, what created, what makes you so amazing? How did you make this happen? Well, um, you know, I'd start off by one thing that I try to do as a graduate of the, of the professional sports course in, you know, narcissism which is what athletes uh can be addicted to and and vulnerable to is as we get out of the game realizing that a lot of those relationships were relationships of convenience uh some of them were wonderful almost everything in my pro career was was fantastic taught me a lot but also saying that as we surrender the appetites of our ego as we get older to the eternal appetites of your spirit, your soul, what are the things that what are the things that are going to fill you up? And to me, as I hear you describe your podcast, I mean, I think that's really what it's about, right? Is to find the things that you really care about, that you're really gifted to do, to struggle with, to uh, wrestle with until you're clear this is what my gift is and and also allowing space to take it to that other level which requires resilience persistence sticking with it so that god's gifts the way we are in our dna in our biochemistry in our brain and suffused in all our cells we are rewarded when we are aligned and we do the work there is a deepest there is the deepest kind of joy. It is irreplaceable. It is like not, I mean, as good as kicking a game-winning field goal is, and, and let me tell you, that is a great feeling. As good as being in the locker room, being interviewed, saying, how do you do it? You know, as good as being the best at what I did, I'm so proud of that. But to me, I look at it differently. I apply the idea that those were skills on how you go about life to be good at anything, and then to shift that anything to be things that make a contribution. And when that contribution is not just your skills, but how your skills help others, which is exactly what you're doing on this show, to help everyone feel powerful, powerful in their own unique way, not uh, to use the brick in the wall thing. Uh, You know, we're not bricks. We are not robots. So much messaging today, Paul, is taking away, whether we look at education, whether we look at the stories that are not being told. um, And of course, we learned with COVID, you know, uh, what amount of information uh, can we uh, sift through and still 
think for ourselves, no matter how much pressure there is on us and pervasive information, we have to learn to think for ourselves. So that's part of that journey to be more independent, more creative, and yet more loving too in the, in the midst of a, a lot of minefields out there. And by the way, with AI, we, we can talk about that, by the way, I'd like to talk about that. With AI, it's going to be happening so quickly, it's going to be faster than we can, than the human uh, soul and brain can handle. We have to have ourselves so deeply rooted in deep core values of integrity, of love, of empathy. If we're not, we are going to be ripped apart in major storms over the next 10 years because AI is going to take over huge parts of our lives. So there's my soliloquy to start uh off. So, so many things to unpack. The, the core of this is to find our principles and values and to stay grounded. And, yeah. and I hear that. And then you talked about the persistent, consistent behavior of, of, and what I can imagine, although you didn't say this, I'd like to delve deeper, is work ethic and, and, and doing the, the, the hard things on a daily basis that yeah. creates the greatness of our world and the understanding that when you go out and sweat and, and, and put in your sweat and effort and you come back aching is some of the greatest days you'll ever have. And so much of our, of our teachings in our society these days are to avoid that. To avoid the hard work. Uh, and by the way, it's a lot easier to avoid hard work if you're not doing something you love that you're passionate about. So, you know, absolutely, we have got to be, hopefully come up with, maybe over this podcast, Paul, you and I can come up with another word. I mean, resilience is a big part, working with the company I work with called Copa Health. We did a Zoom with Tim Story, who you know, and Lee Steinberg about resilience in mental health. By the way, if we're resilient in mental health, even if we're not mentally ill, that keeps us mentally healthy. It's not just for people that are not mentally healthy. So to me, we have to do that work to come up with a phrase um, where it's not work. It is a mission. It is a vision. Um, it is a knowing intuitively that we're doing what we are meant to be doing in our lives. And that is so beautiful. Then, you know, we can calmly, I'm not calm right now, but we can, in a way, I'm coming from a calm place which is, you know, we're doing exactly, we're on the track we were meant to be. And it's not a non-creative track. It's a very creative track. It is open to all the challenges and all the good stuff as well. I talk about purposeful intentionality, being purposeful in everything that we do, intentional with everything that we do. And that means everything on a day-to-day -day basis. The, the biggest question that comes up is how? How do, how do we, and, and again, we can, we can brainstorm on this together, which is one of the great things about hanging out with just great, successful people that have gone through the test of time is that this is what we do is we get creative in our next endeavors. How do we teach people what that looks like? What does intentionality in their day-to-day, -day, purposeful intentionality or living their purpose on a daily, what does that look like? How do they you know, they're, they're wandering around in the dark. How do they start going towards that light and saying, oh, I know I'm going towards the light. I know what that looks like now. And I'm, this is what my action is daily. What does that look like? Okay, this is not, you know, you're using intention. So I'll use the word secret. This is not a secret. I, I when you ask that question, two things come to me right off the bat. Number one, every single thing we do has a consequence yes everything it's okay to be intentionally not doing something as long as you're intentional about it saying this is my time when i have to not be scheduled so i can recover i can let my brain wallow and and meditate and marinate in all the feelings that are going on in my life and come up with a uh, rejuvenated way to move on to the next stage of the day. Which is still intention. 
So that's still intention. Yes. But coming from the awareness that everything we do has consequences. Number two, you know this. I see it with you and all that you've been through with your wife and her health and being supportive and yet trying to keep moving. It's got to be so hard. It's gratitude. Yeah. Being intentional about gratitude because there will be days when we and months and events where we've been, we feel like at least temporarily, because we're in charge of how long we let that linger. We have been betrayed. We've been misled. We've been, you know, all those things that happen in life as we go through the unending um, process of figuring out who we can trust, who is good for us, who's not quite so good for us. That's important. That's not, that's what I call soulfish versus you, selfish. So soulfish is when it's building our soul. And so we also get trapped when we're being intentional and being hardworking. People get, might say, oh, you're so focused, you're selfish. You never think about anybody else. But if it's building our soul and our purpose, then we'll have more to give in that process to everyone else in our lives. Yeah, no question. How the this whole concept of um, of that work ethic and putting forth and intentionality. How do you know you're going in the right direction? Well, part of that law of intention or law of attraction is there will be God winks, there will be coincidences. But there will absolutely be an increase in one's intuition. I don't know if I've met anyone that as they're getting older and they're thinking about, you know, that phrase, getting old as a bitch. I'm sorry, I had to use the word. I'm being real. But uh, but actually getting old is also pretty awesome because the intuition is facilitated. The uh, So we know that there's a knowing that's so far beyond words of the energy of the other people we're with, the outcome of the interaction, the synergy between us. So those things uh, really matter as we pay attention. And, you know, that doesn't mean getting caught in the, I'm better than the other person. It's simply, I am being integrous. I'm being aligned with who I am so that I can be the most effective and bring, and bring part of that is the gift of love, of love and allowing the other person to be who they are kind of hard to be um, so free giving with others and non-judgmental if we haven't done our own work it's always about yeah. we gotta take care of our own stuff and we have always have lots of stuff to work on but that's part of being a human being yeah no question talked about trust earlier and the trust factor you know what what we you know we will have to clean up ourselves to then engage in others what we put out there we get back how do you, like the concept of, do we trust? Do we trust implicitly and then get proven right or wrong? Or do we have to discern prior to trusting? And that whole equation, what's your philosophy on that? Well, you know, the old Reagan uh, nuclear phrase, trust but verify. Sure, yeah. I would say it's trust, but stay aware. Yeah. Trust, but stay aware. You know, don't don't say I've decided that you're great and you'll always be great. No, you're 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 trusting that they're going to show you who they are, um, as you are, by the way, have an obligation to show them who you are. Yes. But it's it's also not requiring you to stop thinking about and taking in the information that presents itself. Some people are very good. All of you watching. As you know, some people are very good at presenting an image um, that looks and sounds and smells and feels so great, but it's really ultimately watching words and actions consistently played out in many different environments over a period of time. Um, and some people, you get that right away. So that's where the knowing is. Some people, you just get it right away. I got that right away with, with Tim's story. Um, I always felt a great chemistry with our friend, Craig Duswalt. There you go. Uh, my friend, James Barber, uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, have you had James on your show yet? Have not. Coming up. Well, guys, James Barber, who's been through his stuff too, 
nine Broadway shows, the Phantom, in Phantom of the Opera for three years on Broadway, you know, we just connected. So when your composite radio station, when the, the soulful broadcaster of who you are and how aligned you are is properly organized and congruent, other people pick up. It's sort of like when you know you're the old style radios and you're switching from radio to radio and and it's not quite there, and then you get right on it. Suddenly, the the music and the bass and the treble and the mid range are all so clear, and that's go. what happens more. The more you do this work, is it becomes really clear who's who you want to be and who can be and already is on your own uh, universal radio station. Yeah, so much of what we do, it's it's about that experience level of trusting our gut of trusting moving forward and trust and verify. And so often people get stuck with, they get hurt once and they stop trusting completely. They stop engaging, they stop opening themselves up to that vulnerability. And that's where they get they get stuck and they hurt themselves as well as society. I'd like to just uh, give a um, shout out actually to one of my oldest friends, Steve, Dr. Stephen Solomon who is my fraternity brother at Dartmouth College, and, and he was is past president of the San Diego Psychological Association. But he's written a book with his um, professional partner uh, on relationships, and it's called Intimacy After Infidelity. Oh, wow. And to your point, it's really hard when you've been betrayed, when you've been cheated on. Yeah. But if we can't, you know, it, the poison we take in the anger, the frustration, and judgment of that other person. Judgment meaning we can't see them the same way anymore. Not just in, in an intimate love relationship, but in general. That's the hardest work, maybe, of all. It's the hardest tenet of Christianity, right? Yeah. I mean, turn the other cheek? You kidding me? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Forgiving, understanding that that the forgiveness is uh, from within, and you have the power to do that at, in in a heartbeat. It's up to you to decide. The forgiveness is we're really having to forgive ourselves for having experienced that and been in that. Yeah. Um, you know, and numbing ourselves is not the answer. Um, I do feel one of my gifts, I just feel so blessed with um, end of life situations. I get emotional talking about it, but, you know, at the end of life, have we held on to good stuff? What are we going to be thinking about? And when I was playing for the Chiefs, I would go to the oncology ward at Children's Hospital every Wednesday. And um, I love putting yourself in that position of sort of affirming that life is short, A, that others are, have it worse than you, particularly children. One of the children wanted to be buried in my jersey. Can you imagine what that's like? I mean, it's, a, it's I guess you call it a compliment, but just, man, but if, if it helps them in the closure which is a misused word a lot, but in the, in the sense of being at peace, how can you say no? And then another time, a couple called the Chiefs Public Relations Office at, at Arrowhead Stadium and Brenda Boatwright, who became Brenda Sneezik, who was community relations director back in the 90s, she came down and said, would you be willing to join a couple? They just had a baby that has a rare birth defect. It's, th it's two and a half, three days old. And they want you to be with them when they take their baby off life support. Wow. And yet, how beautiful that that I was given a chance to comfort someone else, right? Man, I got a third story for you because these are related, which is the situations we're open to. Because pain is always there. What do we do with it? If we lose a loved one, I like to say it's God's emotional arithmetic that the fact that we're feeling pain is because we were loved and we knew they loved us. And who would ever substitute not feeling alive, which means we do open ourselves to pain. 
who would substitute numbness for knowing that's the word again, that knowing that we were loved beautifully and we loved them. They loved us. So, um, so here's the third story. And the, I, I don't think these are coincidences. I'm walking out of the Weston Crown Center in Kansas City. It's two days after the 101 banquet, which is the awards banquet the Chiefs hold every year. It's one of the best football banquets, NFL football banquets in the country. So I'm walking out, I get a call from Georgia David, who was then, um, this is now 2017, I'm thinking. Um, the community relations person saying, Betty Johnson, who is one of the greatest uh, fans that she's ever had, who had a front row seat near the 50 yard line, right behind the bench. And I would give her a kiss and a hug either before or after every game. And she said, Betty Johnson is in hospice. She's dying. Uh, she's been there for a week. She said goodbye to all of her family. But this is a woman who sold her house and moved in with her daughter so she didn't have to give up her Chiefs season tickets. And she said, would you go by there to comfort her? And I'm like, of course. So I go there with Georgia. She picks me up right away. It was going to be the next day, but her one of her daughters said, she, we don't know how long she's going to have. And I go into the hospice department or location at North Kansas City Hospital. And all of her daughters there, a couple sons, grandsons, granddaughters, they're all wearing Chiefs uh, uh, jerseys and shirts. They have a Chiefs blanket on the bed and they have a whiteboard behind Betty Johnson. And I bring a hat and I put it on her head and I whisper to her, it's Nick Lowry. Hey, remember, and I told her about, you know, several games and then said, you know, I, and I just, so you know, you know, Len Dawson and Otis Taylor and Christian Okoye and Joe Montana and Derek Thomas and, you know, remember those great games and talked to her about a couple of those whispering she was you know her eyes were closed her mouth was slightly open and I began to write on the whiteboard you know here's to Betty here's to heaven on earth and in and and heaven where we're going and where you're going and then I wrote down we love you the names of all of her favorite players because she'd lost her hearing. So she needed that whiteboard the last few weeks of her life. So put it back up there. And I look across the bed from me because I'm, as you look at the bed, I'm to the left with my hand holding her hand and her son is across from me. And I said, are you sure she's still here? He goes, oh yeah, she's still here. So I said, well, let's say a prayer. And so we all took hands and literally at that moment, as we prayed, she let go and she died right then. And I walked out of there with Georgia just crying, but feeling once again, so blessed that I could just help give comfort and peace to that person who just, that's what they needed. There's lots of examples of this too, right? That people want to be, at a place where they're ready to let go. There have to be certain things that they feel. Um, and I, I won't talk about finding my mother when she died, but it was, it was also like that. Um, anyway, how does that relate to living life all the time? Well, to me, it's being open. It's being open. And it, we're able to be open when, once again, when we are in that place of knowing because we've made our life congruent. Our everyday actions are consistent congruent. And we're doing things we are we love, but also that help other people too, like you and what you're doing today. And um, it's me today or next week or whenever this comes on, it'll be other people another time. And we pass that baton, but filling ourselves with this nutritional, spiritual food, yeah. it's intellectual, it's emotional, it's also spiritual too. And it feeds all of the energies in our body every day, every every second. Yeah, it, and it's so interesting, the journey, uh, being able to do this and, and for you being able to do and be in the position to be asked to be a part of all that and to be present and, and do all that had everything to do with what we did, not today, but so many years ago in stepping into our own 
purposeful intent and stepping into this journey in living the life that built us to be the people that we that we can be giving and be available and be in that position today started so many years ago and it's something that I encourage so many people to do is to recognize that in your journey of life the more you open yourself up the more you put out there the more you work within your own uh greatness the more opportunity to exhibit that greatness and to touch the world that'll happen. And in that way, the world gets better and better. I I would substitute magic for greatness so that we stay humble. I love Rafael Nadal's uh, phrase, humble and hungry, uh, because that keeps us curious. That keeps us humble to what, what are the new things we're going to learn? And greatness. I just, when I hear that, I think, you know, that's feeding you know, I'm great. I know that's not the way you meant it, yeah. um, but I think we have to, again, be intentional about where that gift is. If it's a gift from God, then it's also the thankfulness as well. Um, and it's it's also a magic. It's just a beautiful thing. And anyway. Yeah, I, I talk about living into your fullest potential, which is what it's about, that we were yes. given the gifts. And, um, and it's about utilizing those gifts to the highest and best use to be able to 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 show up with uh that magic if you will um and it's it's a driving force for me every day is to live within that space yeah so there is light and there laugh there's laughter there's music there's magic um because without being intentional, we can be rudderless and we can be taken off course um, because life is complex and we live in it with a lot of other people. And um, it, it, it is to me, it's that discipline. Um, and the good news is like any discipline, the more that habit, the more the right habit is, is in you the more it feeds off itself and becomes more of a talent, a skill, a polished skill. When we do Champions for the Homeless, which we'll have on June 25th from 9.30 till 1 o'clock Sunday at St. Vincent de Paul uh, Shelter in in downtown Phoenix, um, you know, those those events are, once again, the intentional events that bring out this empathetic part of us and I've never seen it more beautifully exemplified than in what it does for the children that come. And I tell them if they're, if they're, you know, really young, I, I just, you know, under 12, I tell them you've got to be with your mother or father nonstop and vice versa. They have to look after them. We've never had an incident ever. But what's so amazing is these kids get a reference a, for the first time they could see that they were helping bring joy uh, and makes uh, an adult's day a little better. That's real power. Go through and and you jumped into it and not everyone knows about the great work that you do and about Champions for the Homeless. Tell us a little bit about that so that people can engage with it and know how amazing it is. Well, you know, I um, my dad was, uh, I found out after he died, 13 years ago that he was he was chief of station for the CIA in London. My mother was in the Women's Royal Navy during World War II and actually questioned Hitler's record keepers. Their lives were about service, quietly serving. And that being around and growing up next door to a Supreme Court justice, Justice Byron White, um, who was uh, best friends with the Kennedys, the most famous single line of the Kennedys, asked not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. So that always resonated with me. And so as I finally made it after being cut cut and rejected by eight teams, 11 times, that calling was still there. And we started something called Kick With Nick for Cerebral Palsy. And every time I, I found myself having an opportunity to do more work in that philanthropic, charitable, altruistic vein, it was always so beautiful what I got back and um, uh, helped launch AmeriCorps for President Clinton. Um, If you see that right there, that's a Sports Illustrated article by Peter King, 
and that's me with Bill Clinton leaning against the, the Oval Office desk. And that's a, a letter from President Clinton thanking me. And he just watched me kick five field goals on Monday night against uh, against the Broncos. We beat them all on my points, 15 to 7. And that next day after the Monday night game was the signing of the AmeriCorps bill. And uh, just quick anecdote. So so he's leaving there and I say, Mr. President, you look great. He's, he's, he was thin. It's, this is 1993 and uh, May 25th. And um because you remember events like that. We had a bunch of great athletes doing great things in, in the world. Dan Marino, uh, Joe Theismann, um, uh, my, uh, Dave Winfield, uh, Thomas Hearns, uh, even Sinbad the Comedian. So those are just some of them. But anyway, so um, he, I said, Mr. President, you look great. What have you been doing? He goes, you know, Nick, I've been running sprints on the South Long. And I said, Mr. President, I guarantee you, you're the first president to be running sprints on the South Lawn and very likely the last president to be running yeah. sprints on the South Lawn. So those are all precursors. Each one of those were stages, right? Stage versus age. My friend Tim Story talks about that. And so now, uh, 17 years ago, after starting something called uh, Native Vision, which is now in its 27th year, I, I uh, felt this appetite, and I don't even remember exactly. I think I was just invited to speak at uh, St. Vincent de Paul, and um, a guy named Jimmy Walker invited me, who founded Fight Night uh, with Muhammad Ali, by the way, who moved in two doors down from me 17 years ago. Coincidence? So I just thought maybe I should start something. It started with Christmas, Thanksgiving, and East, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, and now we're doing it for the first time this year three times in the summer because it's really hot here in the summer. What we do is an extension of everything I've been talking about, which is we look a thousand homeless folks in the eye like this with no judgment, with love, embracing with the, the message, I see you, it has to be authentic, I hear you, I love you. What's your story? Help them be reminded, refreshing the mind of what really matters. We give away a thousand flowers. We have anywhere from 200 to 500 volunteers. And uh, we give, we have beautiful food which St. Vincent Paul provides and we have some other sponsors for that. We have some of the best musicians in Phoenix. So they get some great music. I, uh, my friend Laura Thurban uh, painted uh, two murals next to each other, which have pictures of people that have been at 50 of these events we've done over the last 17 years, if not all of them. And uh, it depicts people coming through and being served. And then the children watching us serve these, what I call homeless brothers and sisters, right? And then suddenly the children start to stand up and serve too. So that's a sense of home in the midst of sanctuary, really. And then we have a thousand pairs of socks, a thousand pairs of underwear, a thousand t-shirts, a thousand uh, backpacks or totes for them to carry stuff they've been given, a thousand $5 gift certificates to Starbucks or McDonald's just as an opening sort of business card of love to create just that little bit of trust uh, for somebody that's never met you before you've never met them and, and we tell our volunteers the most important thing you can do is is sit down at a table with them and and ask them how they're doing and and ask their story and it's amazing for those of you that have not done this it, it really is remarkable probably 95 percent 19 out of 20 uh, that feel, not just see, but feel this pervasive sense of love, right? In the Bible, it's where, where two or more of you come, right? But or three of you come, but what if it's 200 and 300 and 400 all wow. this with the same energy? That energy is unbelievably powerful. And I've seen these layers of pain and defense disappear, just completely disappear. Even if it's just temporarily, it's helping them know that light you talked about at the beginning of our interview, where that light comes from, you're helping them know they're not forgotten. And that drives, man, working with American Indians, working with inner city youth, whoever it is, who's not forgotten? Now, my latest thing that I really love is helping the Border Patrol that are just 
overwhelmed with a 40 to 50 percent of 50 times increase in number of people that are crossing the border and they you know they're just overwhelmed and they're trying to do the right thing so champions for the homeless getting back to that these kids experience giving we also have donated clothing we have this time we're gonna have six hair cutters two chiropractors an acupuncturist and then we have donated clothing where we have sort of like you're at nordstrom's with a personal shopper helping you find your clothing uh it's always used up i mean it just gets better we change it a tiny bit improve it a tiny bit every time add things every time and um it's been so good to me but watching these kids right because we're going to be choosing addictions in our lives. We're too behavioral that way. That's why this thing is the devil, <laughs> the devil himself, and also, um, you know, hopefully an opportunity to bring spiritual godliness into our lives that can't be taken away. And when kids notice what it feels like to be powerful in that benign way, that sublime way of helping another person feel not forgotten, feel loved, they're addicted for the rest of their lives. So parents out there, if you can give your children as many as you can references to how that feels, they will be changed forever. And they will be, they'll be searching for it forever as opposed to searching for the short-term stuff that we get addicted to because we're so used to, especially with AI, which I mentioned before, you know, that instant gratification, which leads to this kind of life. Yep. You want to, and and I've worked with people that have been going through hard times, people that go through depression, people that have uh, have challenges in their life. And one of the first things to do is to go and look to serve others. And as soon as you take yourself and get focused in on the external versus the internal, your the direction of all your feelings shifts, and you can and you can really receive the love and experience that that fully as you engage with that. And it's such a great lesson for from children all the way through to the last days of your life. Make sure that you're experiencing that in some way every day and watch watch what happens. Yeah. Well, you know, Paul, you do that every day. I mean, you what you've been going through with your wonderful wife, you know. I appreciate it. And that. I see that choice that you make, you know, to yeah. put yourself in that place where there's still gratitude and there's still that feeling you know energy you put out which is i'm alive yeah i'm alive let's go i will say and you know and and we've gone through a uh battle with cancer with my wife and and we've uh had gone through some amazing uh components and one of the things that we celebrate every day now is you know whatever whatever the 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 challenges in the day or the things that come up it's like hey you know what none of that matters You're, we're alive yeah. and to celebrate that and to be grateful of that and to appreciate that every day makes joseph all joseph campbell uh, sorry to interrupt yep joseph campbell um has an amazing interview with bill moyers on public television but also in a book and he was one of the most revered storytelling professors uh, anywhere. And uh, he was an expert. He wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he looks at myths and creation stories of hundreds of civilizations and cultures. And I find that fascinating with my work with American Indians, because the, the verbal tradition, the oral tradition, um, and also, also the initiation ceremonies, the sunrise ceremony with the White Mountain Apache, um, or with the coming of age ceremonies with the uh sioux which are just brutal what is that about what are those initiations into the good stuff that's what i would say the initiations into the really good stuff which is uh, a world where we revere wisdom we revere the elders that have been there and are helping us remind ourselves before it's too late where the gold of life is where the diamonds of life is and uh, I, I just, I just love the work with American Indians. And he's, as I'm watching Bill Moyers ask Joseph Campbell this profound storyteller questions, at the near the end of it, he says, "So this is about the meaning of life, isn't it? It's about helping us understand what life is all about." Yes. And uh, Joseph Campbell said, "Not really. 
it's about putting ourselves in places where we feel fully alive. Because if we're, it's about meaning, then we're caught up in our head. But the feeling fully alive is everything. It's head, it's spirit, it's body, it's mind, everything. That's feeling fully alive. That's where every cell, every mitochondrial and energy in each cell, the blood itself, the oxygen in us, which produces spiritual energy, which can allow us to transcend the toughest things. So here's another story. I got to go here in a little bit, but yeah. boy, this is a great story. So I look at my life now and go, how on earth did I grow up next door to the, the Supreme Court Justice Byron White, who led the National Football League in rushing twice in three years, who led the NFL in rushing the same year he finished number one at Yale Law School, I mean, ridiculous, who commandeered as the head of the marshals at, before he became a Supreme Court justice for Bobby Kennedy, who was the uh, attorney general under John F. Kennedy. Um, uh, Byron White was the head of the U.S. Marshals, and he, they commandeered the school buses that helped protect the marchers into Selma, Alabama during the civil rights marches. So just remember, we need all of us together to move forward. And the white people like him that helped African-Americans take this nation to a better place. We need all of us to work together, right? And so then I say, how on earth, 17 years ago, did Muhammad Ali move in two doors down for me? And Phyllis Wallace, these are the things that happen. I said, God winks, right? Things and coincidences that keep happening. Yep. Phyllis Wallace, who just called when I held up my phone, that was her calling. She was the first director of my adult role models for youth program. And 17 years ago, she said, Cleve Walker is coming into town. He was the best man in Muhammad Ali's um, first marriage. And um, I'm like, and he's, you know, one of his best friends. I'm like, sure. The next day, knock on my door, the Cheney Estates. I don't live there anymore. Muhammad is gone, of course, now, but it's just two miles from where I live now. And he said, I'm Cleve Walker and uh, Mohammed sitting in the passenger seat because he had Parkinson's of their white Range Rover. And Cleve said, hey, I'm Phyllis Wall's friends, Cleve Walker. And why don't you come join? My dad was with me. Why don't you come join us for some tea or coffee, whatever. And by the way, bring cookies. Mohammed loves cookies. So we did. But Mohammed Ali became a, a, a dear friend. And uh, I, I had breakfast with him when he had his Parkinson's. He had moments of real clarity in the early morning. So just that interesting thing. But um, anyway, I was able to take him to a Los Angeles Dodgers game, uh, preseason game, spring training in Surprise, Arizona, which is clear on the other side of Phoenix. It's more than an hour, hour and 10 minute drive. And Mohammed's... Um, Parkinson's drugs only work for about four hours. So we knew we had limited time. So I talked with Dayton Moore, who was the general manager for the Royals when they won the, the, the World Series. And we're in the World Series two straight years, just a couple of years later. And I truly believe this helped them come together. And here's Mohammed Ali. Uh, and I'm driving him there. He, I also drove him to the NBA All-Star Game, which is another story. What that was like seeing uh, LeBron James and and all these famous Yao Ming and all these people acting like little kids. But anyway, we get to the stadium in surprise and they had a, a double decker um, golf cart. They gave Mohammed a Royals Jersey with number one and Ali on the back. And we rode out around to the outfield wall came in. As we came in, it was like a movie. I mean, people recognized him immediately. I'll send you some of these pictures if you want to see That'd them. That'd be great. And uh, they're on my Facebook page, everybody. Nick Lowry, Nick the Kick. If you want to look through my Facebook pictures, to scroll down under those albums. But anyway, so he, we're, we're sitting there, and it's Muhammad Ali next to me. George Brett on the other side of the screen. We're in the front row behind home plate. Pretty cool. And George Brett, one of the greatest pure hitters ever. Amazing. And Wayne Gretzky, so right here, Wayne Gretzky, the great one, and the greatest next to me. I'm like, life is pretty cool. So at, at the end of the sixth inning, midway through the seventh inning, we had to go because we had to protect Mohammed with his Parkinson's. And he's shaking a little bit, and 
just knew we had to, you know, have the discipline to leave. So there's a standing ovation. We go out through the outfield wall and I'm grateful. But as we're coming around the corner, I see there's about 25, 30 people standing next to the white Range Rover that I'm going to be driving Mohammed back with. And I'm, I'm like, oh God, it's going to be tough because he's, you know, shaking a little bit more and he's tired. This is going to be tough. And it was mostly children. So it was the children of the coaches and the, the front office staff for the Royals and maybe a couple Dodgers too. And um, as soon as we got within about 40 feet, Mohammed just willed himself. I talk about transcending when it's that spiritual energy and it just, his, sh his shaking stopped. And he sat there and I have pictures with child after child sitting on his lap, taking photos with this angelic look on his face, giving them that pure love. Cause that's when we talked, he was always, love was in the sentence, every other sentence at the very least. So here's a guy who's a Muslim Amazing. right at the beginning, you know, all the stuff that's going on with uh, racial stuff, with religious stuff. And he didn't care. It was about being the most loving person you could be, not some category, not some stereotype. And here's a man who is the greatest boxer, I believe, of all time, who also made one of the greatest stands of all time with the Vietnam War. And then we all know him holding up the Olympic torch in 1996 in Atlanta, uh, just a phenomenal human being. But I got to see the power of that spiritual integration where your life is so aligned that you can call upon call it god call it the god in you and in all of us to stop cancer parkinson's alzheimer's whatever it is and be there for people as he was for the next 25 30 minutes exhausted as he may have been when we got there, that fatigue disappeared. You think that I didn't think of him differently after that? I already revered him, but to see that, that is the most beautiful part of human beings, right? I want to be like that, right? They say, I want to be like Mike. I want to be like Mohammed that way, right? The ability to love people so much that it was, would never be about our race, about who we did, what we did with our lives, all those things disappear, fade away. How are you in the moment to be loving and present and present? So that's it, man. Oh, what my. I, that's Nick. what we strive for. And that's why I love my life. Um, I'd love to do this again with you, brother. Um, I've talked a lot. <laughs> I, hope, I hope some of it helped. But it's, you know, it's just more and more the right things come into your life. You have to pay attention. Some angels may already have been there and you just now are able to notice them more and pull them in. They'll pull you in. Just pay attention to that energy and um, find just a fountain of blessings of cool, great people like Paul Fink to help your life be more aligned, more purposeful, more meaningful. But also, like I said, more than the meaning is feeling fully alive. Everyone, that is a great place to, to close out this session. Nick, Lowry here. You're absolutely going to come back. We'll talk more about these topics because, you know, to fill the world with love and greatness and the, the reason why you're filled with so many great stories and events and people, uh, just the magic of what has happened is because you put out that love and you receive it in so many ways. And that's what our human condition is about. And the more we can experience that and do that in all ways, um, the better world we have. And thank you so much for being a part of this, being a part of the messaging here and everything that we deliver. And uh, thank you for being a friend. Really thank you. Uh, for those that want to, uh, we talked about this before the show, but uh, it's very simply Nick Lowry. You can write Nick Lowry Foundation, but that takes longer to type. So nicklowry.com or nicklowry.org, L-O-W-E-R-Y. There's an E in there. And let me know. I can help you. If you want to contribute to Champions for the Homeless, we have a beautiful Chiefs necklace. We can probably make it in if you have another NFL team that you love. Um, but uh, by the way, isn't that great? That's creativity. I designed a necklace, but then it serves a great purpose. Yes. Right? So yeah, absolutely. Stay creative. 
nicklowry.com nicklowry.org uh absolutely check him out go and talk about his foundations find him in another 100 different ways donate he's doing so many great things and continues to do things in magical things every single day and uh just appreciate you so much thanks brother i'm going to post so when you get this i'm going to post this on instagram which is just nick lowry 88 i was number eight and i guess some other nick lowry has an eight damn it but uh anyway thank you for having me on and bless you for everything please give your wife my my best my love i had prostate cancer uh almost five years ago i'm cancer free now and um I was very lucky to get it early and uh, just so much respect for you, the way you support her and for her, the character to live her life. I remember her drawing at our, our mastermind, beautiful drawings, uh, which I know is one of her ways that stimulates that beautiful creative part of her. Um, So thank you for having me, brother. All great, all all amazing. Thank you so much, Nick Lowry. For all of you that are here, thank you so much for being on this journey with us, for sharing. Continue to share, comment, like, review, and uh, get the message out because that's what we do every day in delivering this love and this passion to the world. Continue to be a part of this community. Thank you so much listen to this week's podcast all over again go listen to next week's as well and this is paul fink this is mavericks do it different podcast till next time everyone thanks for being here today as we close out this episode which inspired you to be even more of a maverick be sure to leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend As our gift to you, be sure to go to themaverickuniverse.com where you can download your free copy of the Maverick Manifesto. Until next time, dare to be different. Dare to be a maverick.